Welcome. This is Coppercast, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical, world of institutional investment in crypto assets. I'm your host, Tyler Kenyon, and our guest today is Michelle Noyes, Managing Director and Head of the Americas for the Alternative Investment Management Association, or AMA, where she's been since 2012. So welcome, Michelle. Thanks, Tyler. Glad to be here. So before we get into AMA, what AMA is, and, and what they're doing with their digital assets working group uh, these days, uh, let me, like, where, where did you come from? Where, what were you doing before AMA? Sure. So it's funny because we're sitting here at your offices in New York and I literally, my freshman year dorm at NYU is right around the corner. So it does bring me back to my roots where I had a really straight path from comparative literature to alternative investments. Um, So clearly I made a left turn somewhere, but actually I got into it um, through conferences and really educating folks. So early in my career, I fell into planning institutional investor conferences about alternative investments. Had to quickly learn what a hedge fund was. In those years, I was, um, Latin America was hot, so I started doing a hedge fund conference in Brazil that was really successful, and suddenly found myself in Sao Paulo, which was a wild adventure, and I worked for a local hedge fund for about three years based in the Brazil as the only non-Brazilian on a team of 50 people. So um, we did everything from long short equity, we had a credit shop, we had infrastructure, um, seaport funds. I like niche asset classes, I like telling stories, traveled around the world, educating investors about Brazil, having a great time. And during that era, I started getting involved in AMA, which is the association you mentioned, just as a member and really as a way to bring together my peers and, you know, technically we were competitors, but we had a lot in common in terms of just trying to present the story of Brazil to those endowments and foundations and pension funds who were trying to figure it all out. So after about a year of volunteering, um, my husband and I decided to return to the U.S. and Ama decided to open a U.S. office. So at that time, I moved from volunteer to staff. And as you said, um, it's been nearly a decade since. And I mean, is there anything you miss about being on like the hedge fund side versus the sort of industry body side? Um, you know, it was a really interesting experience. I actually really enjoyed dealing with investors. You know, these are professional buyers. So it's not like you're trying to convince somebody's grandma to invest in a fund. You're really just presenting the information they need to make an educated decision. Um, and again, just the, you know, the territory I had dealing with everything from sovereign wealth funds in Asia to family offices in Liechtenstein to North American pensions, Chilean family offices. You couldn't have asked for, you know, a better learning experience. But actually, there's a lot of work at AMA that's similar in terms of both membership development, membership engagement, and finding ways to tell stories of complexity whether that is a changing regulatory regime in Europe or digital assets. So it's something that continually evolves and, and really uses that same muscle. I mean, in, um, in the crypto space, I mean, we're no stranger to industry organizations. You know, as a, as a nascent industry, they tend to pop up like mushrooms in the dark, right? You can't swing a cat without hitting a new body. Um, but what's AIM? Because AIM is obviously, you know, focused on the traditional space and they've done a lot of good work recently in the crypto space as well. But, you know, how did AIM come about? What's their focus? You know, what, what's the membership look like? Yeah, no, and it, it's certainly not an industry that I knew existed, again, back in my, my college days uh, here in New York. But we started as an industry body in 1990, really focusing at that time on the cottage industry of hedge funds, right? It was 
really the first meeting was on the, the shores of Lake Luzon in Switzerland, really trying to explain what this industry was. Um, one of our earliest uh, pieces was our due diligence questionnaire, which remains relevant these 25 years later, as institutions started coming into this space and really needed to know the questions to ask to get comfortable. We went through a massive sea change in 2008 and the post-GFC scenario when we went from a largely unregulated to a very regulated industry. And we saw a shift in a professionalization in our association, as well as a large focus on the government affairs side of what we do. So we're essentially a voice for the alternative investment industry who is trying to both influence the discourse about the industry, regulation about the industry, while also trying to provide tangible value to our members. Now, as the hedge fund industry evolved, we saw our membership evolve as well. So we added on private credit in 2014, and that's been a growing part of our work, and then more recently, digital assets. Yet to your point, there are a lot of digital asset associations doing excellent work, and we don't purport to be the expert in everything when it comes to the whole scope of the industry. What we're really good at is institutional regulated investment management. And the reason we got into this is because we had members who both, you know, first left their hedge fund jobs to launch crypto funds. This was sort of circa 2017, 2018, and wanted to use that DDQ I referenced. And then more interestingly, in 2020, started investing in their legacy hedge funds a little bit in crypto. So it wasn't this departure from what we were doing, but really an extension of how can we service some of our biggest members? How can we help them through this learning curve and this journey to get up to speed? So that's really where the whole AMA Digital Asset Working Group or AMA Dog Initiative was born. And how, like, how quick was that growth to give it some, I guess, context to when you expanded uh, the AMA to include like private credit? You know, I, I get the impression, I mean, crypto's exploded around the world, regardless of what you know, facet of what industry you're talking about. So, I mean, with the with the AIMA membership, was it, you know, 2017, you had like five members who were like, can we see some research on this or whatever? And then in 2020, every member was interested. Like how, how quickly has things grown? Yeah, no, that's not too far off. Um, you know, it was definitely, I can count on probably one hand, the number of, invest, of members back in the 2017, 2018 era. And at that point, it was more educational. So we didn't even really publish research on it, but we hosted some panels, right? Because we were able to do things in person back then. <laughs> we brought um, Mike Novogratz to keynote our big investor conference in Toronto that year in 2018. Um, so it was, it was a little bit more of a curiosity, but you know, there were discussions even then about, can EMA do more? Should we have a due diligence questionnaire? And it was really just too nascent. Um, you know, like most during crypto winter, things just got really quiet. We got focused on some other areas of greater priority. Um, but again, in 2020, I think, you know, you had this dynamic of the legacy hedge funds getting involved. And to your point, I think most multi-strategy funds and global macro, now more quantitative funds, they're at least investigating crypto, if not investing at this point. Of course, there are strategies, perhaps healthcare long short, that's just not relevant, at least not yet, but you know, there's a lot more curiosity and then support amongst our membership to go and spend some resources on this and not seen as this you know, complete detour and deviation. 
Plus, some of those smaller funds, um, you know, were a lot more sizable and also trying to be institutionalized. So really, the marker was in the late 2020, we joined forces with um, a friend of mine and member, Don D'Agostino, who was running a separate dog group. So he was running dog. At that time, we had the less fun acronym of AMADAB. It was our <laughs> digital assets and blockchain group. Um, so when we were looking to reinvigorate it, he, I offered him the opportunity to bring that inside AMA and still be involved. And you know, we would take on the secretariat responsibilities of that, which he gratefully um, was a fan of. So we relaunched January of 2021 under this banner of AMA Dog. Again, a global effort. So you know, I'm here in New York. I have a colleague James, who's very involved from London. We have members in across Asia who are involved. We have managers from the traditional hedge fund world, managers from the crypto world, service providers like yourself from the crypto world, as well as legacy service providers from the law firms, fund admins, and everyone else you need on board if you're going to grow this thing. Um, and investors, you know, this is an area where investors are also really eager to um, engage because they're learning at the same time as everyone else. Um, and we really, we set out an agenda in that January to say, okay, we can do a lot, right, AMA again. We do research, we do sound practices, we do regulatory advocacy, we do events and education and connectivity. We don't have the bandwidth to do everything, so let's help us prioritize. And we really decided that peer group is important, so we have a regular AMA dog call that has subsequently birthed many pups. So we have our odd dog for our operational due diligence digital asset working group. We have a regulatory subcommittee. We're just about to launch a cybersecurity um, subcommittee. So really when there's some specific interests, um, we'll add to that. Um, research was important, right? We wanted to get a hold on really what is this convergence trend from legacy hedge funds. So we joined forces with PwC and Elwood in their annual crypto hedge fund report. Um, adding a new dimension, which was polling our legacy hedge fund managers and seeing their interest and activity in the space. So we saw, you know, I think it was about 20 to 25 percent in our 2021 research, jump up to 38 percent in um, 2022, um, you know, looking at activities. Small, small allocations, still early days. But I think bringing numbers to that trend was really important, um, both internally as well as externally. Um, when it comes to events, we had our first in-person event um, this past May, which was a huge success. And then we will be doing a half-day program in Zurich um, on the continent later in October. And we continue to do a series of webinars on you know, points, large and small, when it comes to crypto. The other thing that AMA is well known for, again, is sound practices. Now, we're careful to not use the word best practices because we're not saying that if you do this, you're in the upper decile. It's really the answer to the question that everybody wants to know. What the heck is everyone else doing, right? What is market practice when it comes to various things? So we started with the most in-demand area, custody. I mean, it's amazing. If you want to sell out a crowd, talk to somebody about custody. Um, when we came to our in-person conference, like the breakout room was just overflowing with humans um, to get into that discussion. And this custody guide that we developed, including, you know, with participation from you and your colleagues, is one of our most downloaded resources on our website this year. So there's a lot of insight, curiosity on how to get this right, um, because it is such a critical piece. We're following that up with a guide to trading and execution 
And then as I've referenced, you know, a lot of the times we get, Ama, hey, when DDQ? And we're confident now this is the time we're at a point of maturation where we can get this done. So I'm working with um, some of our members to really look at the existing DDQ holistically um, and then slot in a set of questions that are crypto specific because there's a, a lot of information common. It doesn't matter if you're investing in a hedge fund, private credit, private equity. If you're talking about the sort of the organization as a whole, it's going to be the same whether or not you're investing in crypto and you don't want to um, you know, water down the experience just because it is crypto. Um, and then there's a whole lot of information that you need to ask specifically because it's crypto. And maybe you don't need to ask if you're talking about long short equity. So, um, you know, a set of questions there. And then you have your funds, whether they are an open-ended fund or a closed-end fund. And I think, interestingly, in digital assets, you do see this crossover um, between venture capital and hedge funds, which is so much stronger than in legacy investment management. It, it, it's been starting to happen a bit um, in TradFi, but it's just organically enmeshed when so it comes to crypto. The, the OptiD thing was um, so the subject of your sort of show and tell piece for us, which you can see on our YouTube page. Um, let's just go through some of that, because you had a, a good graphic there that just sort of broke out You know what, what applies to everything, what's crossover, and what's really specific to, to crypto. So can you just run us through that again? Sure, yeah, no, and this really emerged as I'm working with members on the DDQ. Um, so sort of core to everything, you have governance, um, which essentially is the people, right? The ownership of the firm, the staff, as well as decision-making and you know which functions are going to be independent. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're investing in DeFi or you know, healthcare. I would think of something that had a D and make it all snappy, but that's beyond me at the moment. Um, you then also have operational risk. Um, this is such a large category, but again, is you know, you're going to want to be just as robust for digital assets as with anything else that you're investing in. So it can be your overall compliance framework, it can be your accounting and valuation practices, it can be your KYC, AML, it can be counterparty risk, which has been particularly um, an area of focus for our crypto funds these days. Um, you know, all of these things you're going to want to be comfortable with and again, have, have clear answers so you can identify where those yellow flags, red flags might be. You then have areas that of course you're going to ask about in your legacy investments, but probably need a little bit more focus when it comes to digital assets. So that's going to be things like asset custody and trade execution. Again, we spoke about everyone's focused on custody, it's for a reason and folks want to go into depth about how investment managers have arrived at their custodial solution that they are moving forward with. There's also cybersecurity. This has been an area of scrutiny for investors, for regulators for years across the alts industry. So not new, but it's just, you know, in crypto, a cyber attack can wipe you out in a matter of seconds. So, you know, you really need to be buttoned down. And certainly, if anyone wants to ever be paranoid about cybersecurity, just get into crypto. It'll it'll really get your mind right. We call ourselves professionally paranoid. Yes, <laughs> that is right. Um, and then you finally have things that are going to appear only in crypto and not going to be really relevant anywhere else. And, and these are things that really investors have to figure out and learn, even if they're not technologists by trade. So it can be things like smart contract risk and protocol risk. Um, it can also be things like key management if they're going, if the fund that they're looking at does some self-custody. So these, you know, it's definitely a new skill set. Um, you know, they're 
not necessarily subject matter experts, but they need to at least be able to evaluate some of the responses that they get or bring in some sort of external expertise to, to get comfortable with that. And I guess that's, that's the opportunity for AIMA, right? To be that sort of like central repository of, of information, as you say, not best practice, but at least a guide to what the market currently understands about, you know, how we should be operating in the space safely yeah. and securely. Exactly. Our role is not to convince anyone to invest in digital assets or in anything for that matter. It's really to say, okay, you've decided you want to do this or you're investigating this. Here's some ideas about how to go about it. And I think, you know, it, it can be challenging because there's a plethora of information about digital assets out there, but it's not necessar necessarily tailored to the specific needs of these investors, right? They don't necessarily need to know how to code a smart contract. Um, they don't need to know everything about fintech. But what some of these, this education out there or extension courses, they also don't cover why custody is so important or what are the regulatory regimes or what is the intersection with alternative investments, which really, you know, we're uniquely positioned to be able to help with. Yeah, and as you are saying earlier, like the, that, I mean, for us, custody is our bread and butter. So that's really the foundational piece that was missing for quite a while in the in the institutional crypto space. And I mean, now I wouldn't say like we've solved that, but, you know, we have that solution now. Um, and I mean, the, some of the guests we've been speaking to on the show this week, you know, the risk is the next big foundational block that's been missing from institutional crypto. And it's probably where custody was four years ago. So as you're as you're doing your next DDQs, I'm sure like the risk report will probably be one of the next big themes that you guys are, are covering. Yeah, no, definitely. Both market risk and operational risk. And I know I had moderated a breakout on risk management at that conference and, you know, one of the heads of risk at an investment fund was just noting they don't have the same tools and technologies that they do for TradFi markets. Um, so, yeah, so I think we'll definitely see this. And, you know, this bear market time, um, there's still funds launching, there's still investments being made. Yes, not at the same pace as in the peak of the markets, but the market's dynamics have shifted a bit, right? If we went from perhaps a seller's market to a buyer's market, so the institutional investors can dictate terms, um, you know, can demand transparency, and I think that'll end up in good shape, right? Um, you know, really bringing up and making sure that these investment managers are operating, you know, they're not they're not um, leaving anything aside or, you know, stepping down their requirements just because of the asset class. I guess you, you must get a really interesting perspective on on the whole space because, you know, a lot of people just see headlines, they'll see like, you know, Bitcoin's dead, it crashed again or whatever. But I mean, through your membership, you see the, the changing sophistication of the questions they're asking, the frequency of the questions they're asking, you see the fund launches and, you know, the, the sell side that are coming into the space as well with new solutions to service these guys. So are you generally quite optimistic about the institutional adoption of digital assets? Do you, do you see it just having legs and this is going forward and no one can stop it at this point? I am. I'd say cautiously optimistic. <laughs> I think, you know, first of all, there's just the talent that's moving into the space that's really undeniable. And, you know, even while certain firms are downsizing, you're seeing most of that talent easily rehome in other spots and, you know, remain committed. Again, we're seeing a lot of movement from the legacy investment management industry. So I think what's interesting is it may not always be a dedicated allocation to a crypto-specific fund. I do expect that to grow because it's at a pretty small base at the moment, although I have not seen any good data that, that actually puts numbers to this. 
However, you know, you're seeing these largest um, investment managers in our space make one to two percent allocations. That's going to um, increase over time. And it's, I don't know, you look at it something like maybe commodities or FX, right? It doesn't always have to be its own fund, but it's one of many trading strategies, one of many tools within an investment portfolio. Um, so I would imagine that goes forward. Again, there's trading strategies out there that are not necessarily directional. They just base on volatility more so than, you know, Bitcoin to the moon. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see it evolve. But I do think that one has to be patient, right? I think it behooves folks in the space to really understand where institutional investors are coming from, as, as well as legacy hedge funds, right? They are investing, they're stewards of capital, of often retirees. Um, you know, asset protection is the name of the game. Uh, you know, it's not about writing lottery tickets and, you know, and getting one to hit. So they need to be really cautious. They need to make sure, again, it's one thing to lose money because Bitcoin goes down. Yeah, if you've looked at you know, the history of this asset class that's going to happen. And if you're shocked by that, you should not be investing in this asset class. It's entirely different for someone to run away with your money. That is, you know, a situation you definitely want to avoid. So, you know, a lot of these folks have newer track records, um, you know, and they just need to understand they're not being conservative because they are stupid or because they want to make your life difficult. They have processes, they have boards, they have institutions. And if you want to accept this capital, you have to go through these processes and sort of accept these terms. If you don't, there's still retail money and individual investor money out there and people can have very nice business on those, that sort of asset base. But you know, if you are looking to get institutionalized, you have to know what to expect. What about your own relationship with crypto? Because I mean, did you find out about Bitcoin or whatever else uh, was your first introduction to it? Was it while you were at AMA or was it just through friends? Like, tell us your, your crypto origin yeah, story. Yeah, so funny story. I found an email from a former colleague from my conference days introducing me to Bitcoin in 2011 wow. when I was at $9. Wow. Um, very mad I did not do yeah. anything at that point, um, but it was always sort of on my radar and I still remember like old Planet Money podcasts back in the day. Yeah. talking about it. Um, I started getting more involved, you know, again, when Amos started getting involved in 2017, but it was still pretty high level. Um, it's really in this last cycle that, you know, started getting closer to it, attending conferences, learning alongside building, um, really. And then also, you know, just playing around. I think there's so much you can learn just by doing. Mm. So really just getting my, you know, hands dirty in the world of NFTs, um, you know, you, you experience that sheer terror of sending something from a hot wallet to a cold wallet and, you know, hoping it gets there again, you experience all of the, the hacks on a regular basis. And that's really been instrumental in my knowledge, you know, completely de minimis positions, but, you know, it, it just helps you appreciate the fabric of this industry in a whole different way. So it's the best way to learn it. Too, yeah. Right? So it, it's been fun. And plus, you know, if I lose money in DeFi, I just get sad. If I lose money in NFTs. I have a pretty JPEG. <laughs> that is definitely a simple line. I sort of feel like the old lady, like, you know, in the early days of email, you'd have these people who print out their emails. Yeah, yeah. I print out my NFTs Come and on. put them on my wall. I seriously, I have like a beautiful oh, you piece. Own them, so, yeah. I own them. And then again, it doesn't matter what the floor price does. Yeah. Um, your friend from 2011 who introduced you to Bitcoin, are they still holding Bitcoin? Are they hodling? Yeah, or? he's sitting pretty. Nice. Good for them. Okay, um, before we let you go back to work, uh, there's 10 questions we ask everyone, kind of a quick fire style. 
Can we run through them with you? Sure. Cool. So where do you see the alternative investment industry in one year versus 10 years? Um, in general, it's been on a huge amount of growth. So I would expect it to increase in AUM overall. I think certain strategies are at us more of a piece of maturation. So we may not see the growth in hedge funds, you know, in 10 years be what it was the prior 10 or 20 years. But overall, you know, really see a, a growth in both very active management and alternative and very passive management. And it's that middle of like mutual funds, which are, is really getting squeezed. If you could change one thing about the industry, what would you change? Ooh, this is a good one. Um, I think some of its loudest voices are not always the most productive. <laughs> There's a lot of noise and sort of carnival barkers out there that can put people off. You know, it, it, it is a leap to, you know, to really understand why virtual currency has value. And I think there's a tendency sometimes to deride folks who might be skeptical. It's good to be skeptical. Is there a piece of technology in your life that you couldn't live without? Um, sadly, my phone. I mean, I think that's ubiquitous these days. I thought you might have said your printer for your NFTs. <laughs> but <laughs> I outsource okay. that. Okay. Um, what does your weekend look like when you get time off? What are you doing? So I am typically hanging out with my kids. I have um, soon-to-be eight-year-old twins wow. who are an absolute joy and blast to hang out with these days. So it's just nice to be unscheduled and, um, you know, bask in some non-technology, non-work time. Do you have any movies or films that you could watch over and over again and never get tired of? So I need... I don't, I don't have like that one film that I constantly watch, but I feel right now that I need to rewatch everything, everywhere, all at once, which I don't know if you've seen, but it's a complete trip. And I watched it recently with um, my siblings and I really feel like I need to watch it two more times to get, to get a hold of it, but well worth the, the mind bender that it was. Okay. Um, do you have any catchphrases or mottos that you live by? I don't, I should. Don't have to. Um, who should we all follow on Twitter? Let's see. Um, so one of my favorite NFT projects that I think is just a really great onboarding and has a really good personality is called Honey Badges. So it's Honey Badger, but without the R. Mm -hmm. um, and they're just such a wholesome account. Um, and it's just been a really wonderful way to introduce people who are interested in the asset class to really understand and there's a whole charity aspect to what they do so i think that's a nice one to get out of that ethos of nfts only have to be apes yeah. or punks and you can really see some of the real world impact they're having such as you know donating benches and um, tables to a refugee center in africa and other projects that they've been funding more wholesome that yeah. sounds good who's the next guest we should have on our show Let's see, who would be good? I mean, I think Meltem Demiros is always a good conversation if you have not had her previously. She can pivot from crypto to culture to memedom like no one else. I'm a little bit afraid to interview her. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, totally. Okay, so last question. If you somehow managed to meet Satoshi, but you only got to ask him, her, they, them, one question, what do you want to know? Do you ever plan to reveal your identity? How long in anonymity? 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 Anonymity?
anonymity? Yes. There we go. Yes. It's always the last one that gets you. Yes. Cool. All right. Uh, Michelle, thank you very much for coming in. I've enjoyed this. Thanks for having me. And to our listeners, if you haven't seen Michelle's show and tell video, please go to our YouTube page or you can find it on Twitter at CopperHQ or find it on the website, copper.co forward slash insights. There you can also sign up for our newsletter, which includes links to all the week's top stories, as well as any updates from the wider team here at Copper. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please make sure to give us a good review on whichever streaming platform you're using. If you want to get in touch, you can always reach me, Tyler, on Twitter at CryptoTSK, or you can email me directly, tyler.kenyon at copper.co. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you know somebody who should be, give us a shout. We're here to talk all things institutional crypto. And of course, this show is only made possible because of the technical and creative wizardry of Tally Spear with support from Meili Malfort, Eva Lila, and Kate Light. No sets coming out weekly, and in the meantime, stay safe.